Have you ever heard the question, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> My brother and I heard that a lot growing up. What do you think you're doing? Now, in reality, the, the, it really matters the voice inflection, doesn't it? What do you, you, you can ask that question in a number of ways. One way that you can ask it is a very innocent way, in an inquisitive way. Maybe when you were uh, young, you climbed up in uh, your mom or dad's lap or aunt or uncle. They're doing something important, and you really wanted to know what they were doing. So you say, Mom, Dad, uh, Uncle Joe, whoever, what, what is it? What do you, what do you, what do you, what are you doing right now? What are you, what are you working on? What do you think you're doing? And there's an inquisitive way to say that, but there's, that there's also an accusative way, isn't there? What do you think you're doing? I gotta be honest, I heard that one the most. I heard that. There's the sarcastic way. What do you think you're doing now? And, you know, I think it's an important question for us to begin with this morning. Because when we think about the text of Scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning, it almost elicits that question. What did Jesus think he was doing? Now, we're looking at an important passage of Scripture. We're looking at the one where the God of all heaven, the God who made the heavens and the earth, Jesus, who is God incarnate, God who wrapped himself in flesh, we're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who at this point sits at the right hand of the Father and will judge all things. We're talking about this Jesus bending low, getting on his knees and washing the feet of the disciples. So certainly we could ask the question this morning, what did Jesus think he was doing? Why would the creator of all things? That's what Colossians says. Colossians says that Jesus was the initiator of creation. He was the one who created. The Bible says that Jesus is the one who was crucified for our sins. The Bible says that Jesus is the one who permanently has conquered death. The Bible says that he is the judge of all things. The Bible says that he will reign in glory. And at some point in the life of Jesus, in a quiet room called the upper room, he sat down with his disciples and he ended up washing their feet. Who did Jesus think he was? And what did he think he was doing? Well, I would submit to you this morning that what he thought he was doing was painting a picture of the way discipleship should work. Now, if you're joining us this morning, we're glad that you're here. If this is your first time we welcome you. We have been for three weeks talking about discipleship. That's something that uh, you're not familiar with. I invite you to open uh, your bulletin and you'll see what we've been talking about this past month and why it is so important that we look to Jesus to shape our understanding and our methodology of what we do when we talk about discipleship. So if you have your bulletin there at the on the left side of your bulletin at the very bottom, we've, this is what we've been looking at. I want to be engaged in healthy relationships in which I am being discipled and which I am discipling other people. 
And so this morning, as we ask the question, what did Jesus think he was doing? Here's the three types of people that this message is for this morning. This message is for somebody who would say, Pastor Zach, I want to be engaged in a discipleship process. I want to learn how to invest in other people. I want to learn how to take my faith, help somebody else to have their own faith and live it forward into the future. Now, uh, I have to be honest with you, that's not altogether exclusively a religious concept. We teach people all the time about things that are important to us. Who in here has a family recipe that's been passed down from generation to generation? All right? Raise them up high. Raise them up high. And I I guess we should take, like this morning, you should write down what it is. And then we can just take turns bringing them in, right? From Sunday to Sunday. But as you grow up in your family, there's some really important recipes that have just survived generation to generation to generation. And they didn't survive because they were written down on a recipe. They survived because somebody got in the kitchen and said, oh, no, sweetheart, that's way too many eggs. That's way too much sugar. That's way too. No, you need to back that off and then you need to mix it and you need to do this. And, and, and somebody spent the time to stand with you in the kitchen and disciple you on how to make that dish. Praise God for parents who disciple their kids on how to brush their teeth. We have to teach kids that, right? Like they don't just get ready for bed by themselves. They don't look away from the cartoons and go, Dad, you know, I think it's really time for me to go brush my teeth. I should stop. My kids are going to be mad about this section of the message. But but there are things in life that we have to teach to the next generation. And here's what, if you're hungry this morning to this important faith that we've been singing about and this important life that you found in Jesus and if he's flooded your soul with joy and peace and contentment and purpose and meaning and mercy and forgiveness and you would say, I want to take what God has done for me and I want to plant that in other people This message is for you this morning. The second type of person that this message is for is for people who are here this morning who you wouldn't say, I am a follower of Jesus. You would say, I'm interested in Jesus. I'm interested in the things of God, but I've not yet made the commitment to entrust my life to him. I have not yet made the commitment to begin to follow him, but you are here today because you want to give the Christian faith a fair shake. I'm glad that you're here because you're going to learn a lot about the character of Jesus today. You're going to learn a lot about the character of the one that we've been singing to for 30 minutes. You're going to learn a lot about the character of the one who died on the cross and rose from the grave and lives victorious at the throne room of heaven today. The third type of person that this message will be for is for the people who would say, man, I need to be discipled. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm nowhere where I need to be. And I desperately need somebody investing in my life, but I don't know who. And I don't know how to find them. And I don't know how to pick them. I want to give you a model today that I want to just encourage you. Accept nothing less than what we're going to be looking at today. If you're here and you're saying, I need somebody to disciple me, to mentor me, to teach me what it means to walk with Jesus. Then this morning we're going to show you this 
four stages or four steps that I would really encourage you to make notes this morning and say, I'm looking for this in the person that would invest in my life. If you have your Bible open to John chapter 13, that's where the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet can be found. And if you're a guest this morning for the first time, we are grateful that you're here. We praise God that you're here. We welcome you to the fellowship family. And I want to stress that that is exactly what we are. We are a family and we're thankful that you decided to come and worship. I hope that you felt the passion with which we do things at the fellowship. Uh, We're passionate because we have become convinced that the one in which we sing to and pray to and discuss is not dead and is not simply a philosophical conversation, but he is a risen Lord. And he is a one that can make a difference in your life today. He has, in fact, made a difference in many of our lives. We would love to tell you our stories of how the Lord Jesus has made a difference in our life. But from whatever background, for whatever reason you're here today, we welcome you. And we're glad that you're here to study the Word of God with us today. John chapter 13 is the passage of Scripture that we're looking at. What did Jesus think he was doing? Well, let's let's look at the scripture and then we're going to answer that question starting in verse 1 and we're going to be looking at about about 17 verses. Here's what the word of God says. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Two important concepts. Number 1, Jesus knew that the crucifixion was imminent. He knew that he was about to die on the cross and he chose to continue expressing his love for the disciples all the way up to the end. Beautiful thought. Starting in verse 2. During supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, he rose up from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Can we just stop? Can you just think about how humbling and vulnerable of a moment that must have been? And you may think, I don't even know how to comprehend that. I understand that. It's hard for us, isn't it? And we're not going to stop to do this. But if, if you could just try to picture... What would happen, the nerves and the thinking and what would go on in your mind and heart if somebody in the section where you're sitting just started washing people's feet? Your heart would be beating fast. You'd be thinking to yourself, what's going on? This is strange. Why is this going? Why is is the Lord doing this? Think about the intensity of this moment. In other words, let's don't just read over it and pass on. Let's think about how powerful of a moment this must have been. And so Jesus began to wash their feet. Verse 6 says, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. 
And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not my feet only, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is not completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and he resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Lord, as we think about this passage this morning and we just acknowledge that so many of us are in so many different places in our life and what's going on around us and the things and the pressures that we face and and at different places in our life and in terms of where we are with you and and us following you, we just we just believe that no matter where we are, that you have something important for us in the scriptures this morning. And so we, we not only open our ears to hear the Word of God, we open our heart, we yield to the transforming power of the Spirit as we study and think about the Word of God. Lord, here we are under the Word. Would you change us, we pray, as we learn to invest in others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to look at four stages of discipleship. We want to look at four things that Jesus does that in my understanding is incredibly important if you desire to invest in others or if you desire for others to invest in you. And let me be very clear about when we talk about investing in others. You know, oftentimes we think in terms of, well, when I am this age, then I am just going to let somebody invest in me because I don't have anything to offer to people at this age. And then at some magical point, like right here, then I'm going to pivot and change. And instead of being invested in, I'm going to begin investing in other people. I want you to understand that that's not how the kingdom of God works. And so I I don't know how young the youngest person is in the room today. But I would suggest to you this morning that if you can hear this message and you can comprehend it and you can understand these principles about the kingdom of God, you are not too young to invest in other people and disciple other people. And I would also say to you that no matter how old you are, we're certainly not going to do an age check this morning and see who's the oldest person in the room. But it doesn't matter how old we are. We are never too old for somebody to begin to invest in our life and teach us how to walk with God a little bit closer 
and a little bit better. That's important for us to understand. So this morning we're going to look at four stages of discipleship. These are things that Jesus did. And I think it's important for us to think about them in that specific order in which he did them. And then after we've done this, after we've finished our last little note in our bulletin, we're going to talk about four challenges that each of us face when we think about discipling other people and helping them to follow God. So the first thing that we're going to look at or the first stage that I want you to understand is that Jesus spent time with the disciples. Jesus spent quality time with the disciples. In fact, if you were to take this story, this event, this example, as just this this micro-focused picture of discipleship in life, you would see that discipleship begins with quality time. Spending time with the person that it is that you want to invest in. Now, I understand this morning that you're a busy person. And maybe immediately after I began to talk about time, your stress level goes up and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't have time to add one more thing to my schedule. I've got to do this and this. And I want you to free yourself from that. And I want you to understand this. In the kingdom of God, we make time for what's important. And so as we think about discipleship and we say, okay, what did Jesus think he was doing? He was showing us his model for discipleship. I want you to notice that the first thing that he does is he just spends time with the disciples. What did he do? He got his disciples and they got into a room and they sat down and they had some good home cooking. And they ate together and they had supper together. And you might think to yourself this morning, Pastor Zach, that is just so unspiritual. I don't even know why you're mentioning that. (laughs) And I used to think that. So if you're thinking that, I understand. I used to think that as well. So let me just pause and let's just think about the importance throughout Scripture of God spending time with people. Think about the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that the Lord would come and walk with Adam and Eve. What did he do? He spent time with them. Of course, they sinned. They were expelled from the Garden of Eden. But think about even in in the wilderness. God spent time with them. He appeared to them and dwelt with them and led them. A beautiful thought. Jesus came. And he not only came to this earth, but he spent substantial amounts of time on earth. Have you ever thought about this? That Jesus could have came to this earth and in one day died on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. Why did he spend 33 years walking this earth? Because he wanted to be with his creation. God enjoys time with human beings. So Jesus took his disciples. They went upstairs into the upper room, shut the door behind them and had a meal together. And I think that that's a really good warning for the modern church because we get so busy. And I can tell you this, I'm guilty. I get so busy And I think about what's next. And I think about what is the next goal for the fellowship. And what's the next thing that we need to do. And who's going to help us get there. And how are we going to motivate this. And call on that. And and we have to just stop. 
and close the door behind us and be together. And if you want to influence somebody's life for Christ, give them your time. So we may think, well, quality time is not a theological, spiritual matter. I would argue that it is. But I would also argue before we move on that just simply spending quality time with somebody doesn't disciple them. So I don't want for us to trick ourselves into thinking because I have lunch with so-and-so once a week or once a month or because I have breakfast with somebody once a month that I'm discipling them. Quality time is important. It's a key step, but it is not equivalent or equal to discipleship. And I want you to understand that so that if you are investing in somebody's life and you can look at your your calendar, you can look at the calendar on your phone and you can say, I am spending quality time with individuals that are important in my life that I want to invest in or I want them to invest in me, good. But just make sure that that's not the only thing that's happening in your relationship so that you think that this is discipleship. Well, you say, what is it then? Well, okay, look at stage two. Stage two is service. Another thing that's really important for us to understand about the life of Jesus is that he did not come to this earth so that everybody would do stuff for him. In fact, he said in this very famous quote, he said, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve others. And we see that in the scripture. Jesus came, and as he taught us what it means to disciple people, he spent quality time, and the very next thing that he did is he served them. He didn't ask them for anything. He didn't tell them to do anything. He just served them. And that's an important part for us as well. As we think, how can I influence somebody for Christ? Maybe you have somebody heavy on your heart that you want to influence for Jesus. Maybe you have somebody in your heart or your mind that you're thinking, oh, I just want them to know how amazing God is. How can you serve them? Because if we're going in order, first Jesus spent quality time with the disciples. The second thing that he did is he served them. He served them in a powerful radical way that arrested their attention so much so that they're confused in fact simon peter he's like wait a second what are you doing jesus jesus said you don't understand what i'm doing and peter we'll talk about this in a second but he begins to tell jesus and this is jesus's moment Like this is all about Jesus and teaching us what is important in the kingdom of God. And and Peter's trying to pump the brakes. Like he's saying, wait a second, Jesus, you're making a mistake. You can't wash my feet. What are you talking about? It was so radical that the disciples didn't even understand it. And so I want to ask you this question this morning. The person in your life that you want to influence for Jesus, whether it's to come into the kingdom of God or they're in the kingdom of God and you just want to help them grow in their faith, what could you do this week by way of service, by way of serving them that will be so powerful that they would stop dead in their tracks and go, whoa, what are you doing? That's the type of service that Jesus gave to the disciples. First, he spent quality time with them. Second, he served them. Then, and only then, he began to teach them. So we've got quality time, 
we've got service. Then we have teaching. Then we have telling. Then we have education. And I got to tell you that maybe I'm the only person in here that needs to hear this because I'm the preacher. And so much of my life is spent telling and teaching and preaching. But I just don't think that it's a coincidence that before Jesus even began to instruct them, he spent time with them, he served them, and then he told them what to believe. Then he told them what to think. Then he educated them on the kingdom of God. You see, some of us, me included, we're so apt to sit down with somebody and say, well, Dale, you know what you need to be thinking. And you know what you need to be doing. And let me just teach you about this. And let me just tell you about that. When really what people need is for us to just stop and spend time with them and serve them. And invest the kingdom of God in them. Now, I am not downplaying the critical and important role of teaching people at all. I understand how important it is. And, and I hope that all of the relationships in life that you have, you have the chance to teach people the gospel and teach them about the kingdom of God. But I'm simply making the point that if you want to open their ears to what you're saying to them, spend time with them, serve them, and then teach them. So in the scripture, if you go back to the, to the scripture, I mean, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, are talking about Jesus simply spending time with the disciples, having supper together. Verses 4 and 5 talk about Jesus serving the disciples right after he has spent quality time and right before he teaches them. Then you have verse 6 through 11, Jesus teaching the disciples. And that's the interaction where Simon Peter doesn't understand and Jesus is teaching him and And that's the teaching portion of the process of discipleship. And then after you have quality time, and after you've done all of these things, after you've got quality time, if you've done service, after you've done teaching, finally, Jesus calls them to action. Jesus commissions them for service. Jesus tells them to go out and do likewise. So Jesus always calls his disciples to action, but he does it after spending time with them, serving them, and teaching them. The fourth point, Jesus calls them or commissions them to service. Look with me, if you would, in verses 12 through 17. It says, after he had done this, after he had served them, he had taught them, he put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. He came back to the table and he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, for so I am. And he spent time with them. He served them and he's taught them. And then he finally gets to to verse 14. So then if I'm your Lord and teacher and I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So this morning, if you're hungry to understand what it is that I need to be doing if I want to influence somebody for Christ, you want to spend time with them, you want to serve them, you want to teach them every chance, and then you want to challenge them to walk with God. You know, discipleship is about teaching people how to walk with Jesus. And oftentimes we just go right to telling people what they ought to be doing. 
But Jesus gives us this different model because he spends time with people. He serves them. He teaches them about the importance of what it is that he's doing. And then he commissions them. And then he challenges them. And then he sends them out to go and to do. I think this is important for us to understand. Again, maybe you're here today and you're just thinking, I don't know, I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know if I want to follow this Jesus character. Well, hopefully this morning you've had a glimpse at who he is. You understand that when we're talking about the king of glory, the king of all kings, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain, but now stands because he's conquered death. You understand a little bit more about him today. He is the one who longs to spend time with his followers. And you may look at that in John 13, but you may not have translated that to yourself yet. So let's just lean into this for a moment. The exact same way that Jesus enjoyed being with the disciples in John 13 is the way that he desires to be with you today. Because he doesn't change. He loves to spend time with his followers. He serves them. And certainly, those of us who are in the kingdom of God could stand today and say, let me give you a testimony about how God has been good to me. Let me give you a testimony about how I did not deserve what God did for me, but he did it out of his provision and his mercy and his grace and his goodness. Just like the disciples were looking back on their life going, do you guys remember that time we were all in the upper room? It was like right before Jesus was crucified and he started washing our feet. Can you remember how crazy that was? Man, this Jesus, he's so amazing. Just like they have a testimony, I want you to know there are people here today that have similar testimonies. Do you remember the time that God did something great in my life? Our king is a servant king, and it's important for us to remember that. And he's one who takes the time to teach and instruct. And he's, quite frankly, the one who challenges us to go and to take the kingdom of God into the world, into a confused and broken and dark world. We have the great privilege of embodying what we've seen in the life of Jesus. And maybe you looked at this this morning and you're thinking, I'm kind of pumped up about this. I feel that way. When I look at the upper room and I look at how Jesus discipled his disciples, I get excited about it. And I look at this and I go, I want to, I want to make sure this week that I'm discipling people like this. I want to spend quality time with people and I want to serve people and I want to take the time to just teach them and instruct them. And then I want to challenge them to be their very best. But there's some challenges that come with that. And anybody here who's tried to disciple other people and help them know how to walk with Jesus understands there's some challenges with that. So I want to do this. I want to point out four challenges before we close today. We have just enough time to walk through these four challenges and then we'll pray together and be released. But understand these four challenges. And if you're making notes, you'll have to write them off in the margins somewhere. We don't have a 
a, a line for you to write them in. They're not going to pop up on the screen. But these are four challenges to doing discipleship the way that Jesus did discipleship. Four challenges to influencing people the way that Jesus influenced people. The first is that you have to serve people who one day will betray you. Now, if there was so much excitement in the room and so much um, ump for being a person who disciples, and if you're looking at this story and you're getting just stoked about it and you're saying, yes, tomorrow I'm going to start the discipleship process with somebody, I probably just feel wind out of yourselves. <sighs> because you're realizing there's probably a Judas in your life somewhere. And have you ever stopped to think that Jesus all ready, knew that Judas was about to go sell him for a few pieces of silver and get him nailed to the cross and he still washed his feet. So what's the challenge to discipling people? It's that you're going to end up serving people that ultimately will stab you in the back. Listen, serve them anyway. Give to them anyway. Be the hands and feet of Christ to them anyway. It's a fair question to ask. Why? Why? Why would I do that? There's no payoff at the end. There's no return on investment. Here's why. Because your master did. Because he did. Logically, I don't know how to get you there. I can't, I can't logically explain to you why you need to serve people who would stab you in the back. All I can tell you is that Jesus did. And for those of us who are under the lordship of Jesus, that is enough. One of the challenges of taking what we learn here and actually doing it in real life outside of this building, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all throughout the week, one of the challenges of doing this is that you are going to be rubbing shoulders and elbows with people who don't care about your service and, and will ultimately betray you like Judas. Serve them anyway. The second challenge of doing discipleship the way that Jesus did it is that you will be serving people who are very quick to speak and slow to understand. Have you ever been in the environment where you just want to grab the person? In Jesus' name, all right, in Christian love, but you just want to grab them right here and bring their cheeks together? Or you just want to say, would you just stop talking for a minute? <laughs> would you just listen for a moment? Like, I think that's how Jesus felt about Peter often. Because when you go through and read the gospel, what you'll discover is that Peter's always the guy. He's always the one that's first to speak. He's typically wrong. And I'm just trying to picture how Jesus must have felt in this moment when he's washing the disciples' feet and he's thinking, here's this holy moment. And then here's loudmouth Peter going, wait a second, Jesus, what are you doing? 
Oh my goodness, that's such a challenge to serving people in the world and discipling people. These, these people who are quick to speak and slow to understand. But you know what? God will teach you patience through the lives of these dear blessed saints. Amen? Dear blessed saints. And it is a challenge. You know, I make light of it. We joke about it. We have to laugh about it because we would cry about it. Because isn't it true that every time you go out to do something great for God, there's somebody there talking it down and trying to get you to stop. Peter is trying to get Jesus to stop washing his feet. So may I say to you, opposition to discipleship doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that somebody may not get it. It's important for us to understand. So the first two challenges that we've talked about, one reason that discipleship is hard is because there's always going to be somebody that ultimately may betray you. Serving people is difficult who are quick to speak and slow to understand. Uh, The third challenge is making discipleship a priority even when you are in a season of sorrow or trouble. We haven't discussed this really too much this morning, but if you were to take a timeline of the life of Jesus, you couldn't get hardly any closer to this moment of arrest and crucifixion than the upper room. Now, we know there's the Garden of Gethsemane. We know there's a few more things that happen in the life of Jesus before he's crucified. But Jesus is focused on the cross. I mean, he is in his own moment of sorrow. He is in his own moment of understanding the trouble that is coming his way. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to disciple his disciples. And one of the challenges is being able to step back from Zach's stuff. The stuff that has Zach upset and and Zach investing in other people. Because if I wait until I have no concerns, no problems, no worries, until I'm going to start investing in somebody else, I'm never going to get there. And that's one of the really important principles that Jesus teaches us about investing in others. Excuse me. You can do that even when you're looking at difficult moments in your life glorious truth because every one of us is facing a hardship every one of us is experiencing difficulty in some form or fashion you know david was talking about it as as the service opened some of us have financial problems and some of us have emotional things that we're going through some of us are having relationship issues and 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 some of us are in the midst of trauma and grief and all of these difficult things but here's the good news of the kingdom of god not a single one of those things has the power to stop you from serving god i want to encourage you with that this morning so making discipleship a priority while we have our own struggles And while we have our own issues, the fourth one is this. Is discipling people in the context that you are given, not necessarily the one that you want. I want to explain what I mean by this, and then we're going to spend some time praying together. Can you just in in your creative imagination, dream up the perfect scenario for you to invest in others and disciple others. 
Can you just think about in what context, what time of your life and what situation in life would be perfect and prime for you to disciple someone else? I would venture a guess that you wouldn't describe your current situation. You see, the task of discipleship, the task of taking the kingdom of God and imparting it into another human being so that it continues on into the future is a task that we have to do with the hand that we're dealt, not with the one that we want. Think about this. Jesus is sitting in a room with a group of disciples that he picked, but... You've got Peter, the one who is quick to speak and slow to understand. And then the scripture says, Jesus is sitting in his quiet room with this guy that he knows that Satan himself has already prompted him to betray him. I mean, this is not ideal situation for discipleship, yet he does it. So probably Monday, tomorrow is not going to produce for you the ideal situation that you would dream up. Can your pastor challenge you this way? Invest in someone anyway. Because we cannot afford to wait until our environment is ideal in order for us to impart the kingdom of God into other people. It is urgent that we start now. And it's fair. You may be saying, well, I'm no Jesus. Well, I'm not either. But I do know this, that at Pentecost, God gave us all the power that we need, all the authority that we need to do the will of God on this planet. And I will will acknowledge that you may not be in the perfect situation. You may not be in the perfect scenario. But can we also acknowledge that the work is urgent and we cannot afford to wait? So it may be difficult, but it's worth it. I want to close this morning by asking you to identify, if you can, with the disciples. And if I could close our time by just bringing us into that moment, that treasured intimate, powerful moment with Jesus where he's interacting with our lives. Maybe maybe you would feel like Judas. Maybe, quite frankly, this morning, if you were to look at this scripture and you were to any degree at all going to try to identify with the story, you might say, I just feel like Judas. I feel like God has been so good to me, but I just feel like I've betrayed him and I don't know what to do. Surrender your life to Jesus. That's what you need to do. Or maybe you would say, I feel like that guy, Peter, pastor, that you're talking about. God starts working in my life and I just start talking and talking and talking. I completely miss the moment. Well, in these moments, be still. And allow the Lord to guide you. I guess I just want to say, I don't, I don't know what it is that God individually is speaking to you. Maybe, maybe you need to give your life to Christ this morning. Maybe this Jesus that we studied this morning, 
Maybe he's always been a character of interest for you, but he's never been your Lord. And maybe today you would say, I want to be in eternity with this Jesus, this biblical Jesus. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. Today can be the day that you make Jesus your Lord. And maybe for some of you who are believers, you are followers of Christ, maybe today is that wake-up call that you needed to make disciples and to spend time with people and to serve people and to teach people and to challenge people to follow God. I don't know how this message serves to impact your life this morning, but my only request is to respond to God. Please don't hear and just neglect what God is is instructing you this morning. We're going to end with prayer. So would you stand with me and as we close our time? We're just going to go through this season of prayer. And Father, this morning we begin by praying for those uh, who do feel guilty. They have a heavy heart because they feel like that they have betrayed you. They feel like they're wearing the shoes of Judas this morning. And we pray that this would be the day that they turn and they run to you and they say, Lord, would you forgive me? And for those people, Lord, for the ones who need to come into the kingdom this morning, we pray that you would give great clarity to what that means to turn from your old life and to surrender our lives to you, Jesus. And for those who are here this morning that have experienced that but have slipped or fallen, they have betrayed you, your goodness. They violated your grace. I just pray that your goodness would convict their hearts and that they would come running back to you. We pray a prayer of thanksgiving, Lord, that you are so wonderfully gracious to not only call us to make disciples and invest the kingdom into others, but that you show us how to do it. We're so wonderfully grateful that you deeply desire to spend time with your creation and to allow us to be in your presence. Teach us, Lord, how to live out these principles of radical service in 2020 in New England. Lord, I pray that for tomorrow you would show us how we can serve so that people's attention are arrested and they think of you. What a wonderful day of worship you've given us, Lord. We don't take it lightly. We don't take it for granted. We acknowledge that we need this to be with our brothers and sisters, to heal our hearts and prepare us for a new week of generosity and love and mercy and 
seeking the kingdom in our everyday lives, sharing you wherever we go. So thank you for a day of rest, worship, prayer, laughter among the saints. We acknowledge that you've been good to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.